Praise be to God. I join John Newton in declaring I only know two things. I'm a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. And as we unpack this good news that Jesus walked out of the grave, ascended up to heaven, we see the gospel must be true always and everywhere. If it is not, then it is no gospel. It's not good news at all. If it's not good news for everyone everywhere. And now the church is confused of the gospel message, whether it's uh, a misunderstanding or a lack of conviction. We see Douglas Webster says this about uh, Eastern religions looking at Christianity 2,000 years later. It's like a child who's grown into adolescence and has now become ashamed of its dad, and it's awkward and doesn't know how to talk about the good news, the gospel that was delivered to us. And so we're facing a challenge in, in Christians just saying the name of Christ. Our tongues easily are tied and our lips remain sealed. Maybe it's a lack of knowledge. Maybe that's it. As I can attest growing up, knowing the word gospel, but, but when there's an opportunity, what do you say? How do you just bring up an average conversation about football or weather and then go to gospel? Like how is it, is it really good news for everyone everywhere or it's not? Maybe it's a lack of knowledge of the gospel. We'll get into that today. Maybe it's a lack of conviction of the truth. And maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. As we see the truth and telling the truth and having conversations about an absolute truth, our culture has ran away from that and it's been redefining truth to fit its feelings. Leaving a culture confused about what is true. And we see ever more than before, a need for a king to bring purpose to our lives, a king to bring a promise that's sure and true, and a king that ultimately has the power to do what he said. So first, the purpose of the king. Jesus came fulfilling over 300 prophecies. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to fulfill his purpose Clearly and simply put, in John 18, 36, if you want to look at the conversation leading up to this, John 14, 15, 16, 17 says prayer for the disciples. That's where we get our mission statement out of John 17. And then John 18, he says this, answering them, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting already. They would have had their pocket knives like Peter, ready to go. But his kingdom's not of this world. It's not in the ballot boxes, it's not in the government officials, it's not the military, it's not of this world. He says that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. That's going to happen. I'm about to be delivered into the hands of sinners and they will kill me, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom, it's an eternal kingdom that's everlasting and as we see kings bring about their ultimate and utter control. When there's a new king in town, they kill everyone and everything, ideo ideologically and in the family of the previous rulers. They kill everything. And it's a new reign, a new rule, because it's establishing a new purpose. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not here to kill, I'm here to save. I'm not here to destroy, I'm here to deliver. I'm gonna bring about reign under my name through suffering through surrender. And I'm showing you this is the way. 
And for some of you, maybe you're like me and you're like, I'm not really super controlling. But at the end of the day, there's still part of me that wants control. It's like, oh man, there's so many people here. This is awesome. Let's make sure everyone has a seat. And other elders and other people, thank you guys for running around. Like, Brandon, we got this. Go. It's like, okay, I got to lose control. It's okay. They got it. Others of you, you're like, no, that's me. Like the moment I wake up, I have a thousand things that I need to be in control of. And when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your kids, your marriage, your health, your finances, the thing that you cannot help but maintain control over, that's the thing you're unable to trust God with. We can only understand his purpose once we've been reborn. Because once we hear the law and God's expecting us to be holy, we're like, I can't do that. I'll go to church maybe on Easter, or maybe when, but it's hard because then I'm gonna get convicted. I know I should do better and I know I should do this, but the beauty of the gospel is you don't. You can't do it. Jesus said, I had the law and you can't do it. That's why I had to come and live perfectly and die in your place because I love you. While you're in sin, God showed his love for us. While we were sinning, Christ died for us so that we'd be saved. Jesus is the one who would fulfill the purpose, saying it's not a kingdom of this world, and the world hated me and rejected me, and it's not gonna think too fondly of you. It's actually gonna hate you too. So as you see me with a cross on my back, there's one gonna be fashioned for you. Come suffer with me. Come surrender everything earthly to receive your eternal inheritance. We have to surrender everything earthly to receive all of the eternal possessions in Christ. We see as he was preparing his disciples to suffer as he was about to suffer, he shared with them a comforting verse in John 14, 6 saying, I am the, the way. You thought the law, no, the law was showing how you needed a savior because you can't save yourself and I'm that savior. And he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have a card I've handed out to some of you with multiple verses to help you explain the gospel of four parts. God creates us in his image, Genesis 1, and there's a couple other verses. And then us, we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then 6.23 adds to that, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are we going to receive that or reject it? Because Jesus comes and offers us that free gift. So God creates us, we sin, Jesus is our Savior and King who's alive. Are we receiving it or rejecting it? Because as we see, we have the Savior saving us from the punishment of the law, who's the way, the truth, and the life. First Timothy, Paul tells them, there's one God and one mediator. Thankfully, Jesus stands in the gap for us and says, look, I've paid the price for them, God the Father. You planned it, I accomplished it. The Holy Spirit seals it. It says, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This was the time of the Passover when two and a half million people were there to see and hear Jesus die. And he wasn't on the temple for only the Jews. And only the Jewish males, because women were on the outer courts and Gentiles were even further separated. He was outside of the city on Golgotha where everyone could see him eye to eye. He was at eye level, not like the Catholics have way up high. He's eye level so you could curse at him, spit at him, throw rocks at him, sucker punch him while he's hanging there. That's crucifixion. Eye level. 
as he's bleeding out, as the thorns, crown of thorns, inches long, are piercing into his brow with every gas, blood oozing out. That was our Savior suffering on our behalf so that we would be free. At the proper time, everyone could see it with the most excruciating. That's where the word it was invented from the cross because it was so painful. He suffered so we would not have to. And Peter says in Acts chapter 4, there's no other name under heaven which men might be saved except Jesus. The one way to God, the one mediator standing in our place, the one Savior. If we believe, there's nothing we can do. Paul later tells him it's by grace, an undeserved gift, not by works. I'm grateful for that because I tried. And it was right away, I was like, wait, I've lied, I've cheated, I've, I've done all these things, and now I'm supposed to not. Do, I already blew it. I just thought of something lustfully. I just wanted that thing that's not mine. Now I sinned. God's like, I know. You were a sinner, you are, and you always will be, but I'm going to make you new. I'm going to take that old life and I'm going to give you one, the one new perfect life in my son. Our king is gentle and lowly. He only attacked those self-righteous and thought they were better than Jesus harshly. Those who were hurting, helpless, sick, he was so approachable. Peter says, look, I know this is politically incorrect when he's arrested. Peter and John were going up to the temple to worship and they saw this lame man, 40-year-old, we don't know his name, so I named him Larry. He's Lame Larry, okay? Keep it simple. So Lame Larry's been there for 40 years. He's not allowed to go in the temple. He's lame. He can't go worship. He can't go put a lamb at, in the morning, time up at 10 a.m., get it inspected. He cannot make atonement for his sins. He's going to hell. Poor Lame Larry can't do the works of the law. He can't go, and so he's begging for food. He thinks, man, maybe one day, maybe someday, I might do good things, and God would like me because I do good things. And Peter and John show up, and I love it, because Peter, hours earlier, he wasn't at the cross. Only John was. Peter was hiding out with the other disciples, so scared, so afraid to even be around Jesus. Honestly, I probably would be too. Like, I love John and Peter, but I think I identify with Peter. It's like, dude, there's a cross involved. Jesus said... If I follow him, there's gonna be a cross in my future. There's crosses there. There might be four. One for Jesus, one, two for the thieves, and one for Peter. Like, I don't know. So he's, he's not even taking any chances. He's out of there. John's the one who actually followed through with what he said. Even if you die, I'm gonna go with you, God. And, and that's why Jesus said, hey, mom, look at your son, John. John, look at your mom. So the transformation was the Holy Spirit made him new and bold. And now he's there going to the temple and he sees lame Larry and he's like, look at me, Larry. Look at me. Because he's seen Jesus. And now he, he's getting his attention. I don't have silver or gold. I don't have a plane ticket to get you to Stanford or UCLA. I don't know how to figure this thing out with your legs. But you need new legs to get into the temple. And I don't even know if Stanford's the right one. Maybe it's somewhere in New York. I don't know. Like, if workman comps, maybe you got hurt on the job. That's going to take years. And even then, there's probably no hope for you, is what people have told me. Workman comps, not the fastest thing, right? He's like, I don't have anything but Jesus. In Jesus' name, rise and walk. Let's go to the temple. And that is the power of Jesus' name. That's the purpose that Jesus came, to say, hey, this is my kingdom. And I'm going to save, and I'm going to bring him his legs. And we see in Acts... 
chapter 3, verse 15, as Peter was arrested after, in verse 8, he leaped up, stood, began to walk, and entered the temple. And as he was walking, leaping and praising God, everyone sees this, and they start worshiping God. So the rulers are like, we can't make money off of these free healings. Arrest them. And so they bring him in. They're like, you're ruining our financial little scam, pyramid scheme we have going on here. What are you doing? Saying Jesus' name out loud. Like, we kill them. And Peter's like, I know. That was God's son. You blew it. In verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer. You let God's son go on the cross in the place of a murderer. In verse 15, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Don't worry. You can't screw up any more than these guys, okay? They killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He's got your back. Like, if you kill Christians, God still has a place for you, like Paul. Like, there's nothing you could imagine doing worse. These guys killed the author of life. God said, hey, I'm going to put Peter there to tell you I love you and forgive you. Saul thought he should try that again and killed Christians, and God saved Saul, who's later called Paul so often. We see in verse 16, or verse 15, he says, God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of it. He doesn't say I have these degrees. He doesn't say I'm, I've, I've saved. He just said I saw this happen, which again, Peter didn't see it all the way through. He had to take John's word for it. Verse 16, his name, by faith in his name. And his name, that's Jesus, by faith in his name, that's Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see. And now, in the faith that is through Jesus, has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's Jesus' name. By simply believing in Jesus' name. So often we think, oh man, how powerful those early church culture and the witness would have been, maybe it would have been easier to share the gospel in their time than ours. It's the same time. We're living in the same time. We have the same playbook and the same culture is opposed to the same name of Jesus. The gospel was offensive to the Jews, the rulers who were making money off of religion and selling lambs. They're like, well, if Jesus is the lamb of God and there's no more sacrifices, how am I going to finance all my homes that I've been left? Uh-oh. No, you can't say the name of Jesus. And they they threatened them. They're like, okay, well, just don't say the name of Jesus because you didn't break any laws, but we don't know what we're going to do, but we'll figure it out. If you keep saying the name of Jesus next time we arrest you, just don't do it. And they're like, okay, well, you figure out what you think is legal or not, but we're going to keep telling people about Jesus because he has a kingdom outside this world. His purpose was to seek and save the lost. And the Jew. The Jews thought it was offensive. The Gentiles thought it was foolishness. They're like, what are you talking about? You're going to go to church and give money. What are you? Jesus rose from the, no, he's a decent teacher and he did some cool things, but he's gone. Like, you don't need to believe in that. You don't need to go to church and be with people that are different than you and give money to plant churches and, and serve other people. That's weird. And so, same thing today. How many of your coworkers were like, dude, can I come to church with you? Can I give money too to church? That's awesome. No one thinks that way. The Gentile, like, you're insane. Why would you give money to some random organization? Have you been to their church in Africa or Vietnam and seen what they're doing? No, you're just going to trust that. Well, yeah, you give money to the TD Ameritrade or whatever. Have you seen where that's going? It's just floating around the interweb. Like, is that actually doing anything? How's your return on your investment? This is the king who rose from the grave. How's your stock manager doing? Did he rise from the grave? Like, who are you going to trust? I'll put my trust in Jesus. The Gentiles wrote him off as crazy. 
That's why in 1 Corinthians, even the church in Corinth was not fully sold on the resurrection thing. They're still kind of waiting. And Paul's like, oh, and he treats it with this super in-depth, clear, compelling study. And he says, basically, look, I get it. If in Christ, in verse 19, we have hope only in this life, then yeah, we're the most to be pitied because we've given everything. We've surrendered everything earthly that we possess to gain everything eternally that Christ promised. So yeah, we should be pitied if he's still in the grave. But he's not still in the grave. As we see in verse 20, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Josephus, all the historians that carry any kind of weight and have any kind of brain in between their ears think and believe and know Jesus really lived. He was, di- he was killed on the cross, was buried, and rose again, and everyone saw him. And that's why Paul says he's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Verse 21, for as by a man came death, that's Adam, and by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. Verse 22, he says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive who believe. In verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. In verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. God the Father destroying every rule, every authority and power. I don't know if you, but that gets me excited. The resurrection, the purpose of the king was not to fight, was not to go to a ballot box or try and vote or try and do it, but to forgive. First, we are forgiven, then we forgive. Jesus' purpose was to raise from the dead, forgiving sinners. There's nothing good in us, nothing good we can imagine. It's all evil all the time, and God forgives us, gives us a new spirit. We're not to fight, but to forgive. Secondly, is the promise of the king. John 14, 24, John 14, 12 through 13 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So, show of hands, we've got the videotape next door, we'll re- record you guys any lame men get legs this week any sight restored to the blind jesus said you're gonna do the same things i've been doing maybe you're out on a ranch or you're out on a construction site it's getting hot people need some water you guys just igloo fills up you guys need some food there's food no like i'm like okay lord how does that happen and then he goes on if that's not challenging enough and says actually you're gonna do greater things than i've done what jesus like my heart's kind of torn up. You just said you're leaving us. Now you're telling us we're going to do the things you're doing and greater things. There's no way because they're sinners like us. So how are we supposed to do that? And he says, look, greater works you're going to do because I'm leaving. It's like, that doesn't make sense because we're following you as our rabbi. So closely we're covered in your dust. Who's going to lead us around if you leave us? He tells them, hey, you're not going to have a guide in front of you. You're going to have a God within you. My spirit's going to be within you. That's why all the work that's been empowering in me, that same spirit's going to be in you, guiding you, leading you, loving through you. In verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Meaning, I've, I've set a place for you at the table. I'm the king and you're at the king's table and everything you want to do is now what the Father wants you to do and wants for you. Meaning, when you suffer, you're going to suffer for my name's sake, and I'm going to give you the strength to endure it. It's not that we're going to give, again, we've surrendered our earthly possessions to gain our eternal promised possessions in Christ. 
the early believers, after they heard this, Paul and, and, or Peter and John didn't go back and were freaked out and like, oh, we need to pray for protection. The government's mad at us. They said, hey, we need to pray for boldness and power. Like, we have an opportunity here that Jesus, he prepped them. He said, hey, when I leave, they're gonna arrest you and I'm so excited for you to get arrested. You're like, Jesus, wait, I thought you were fulfilling the law. Like, whoa, this is kind of weird. When you're arrested, then you can tell them about me. I never got that gospel presentation in youth group. I don't know if they were worried. I already kind of was flirting with the law a little bit back then. I don't know if they were like, hey, let's just kind of keep him not, you know, don't try and get arrested because you're being a punk and an idiot. Be arrested because you're speaking Jesus' name. It's like, okay, that's true. I haven't got the opportunity yet. Like, but Jesus says, when you're arrested, don't worry because you're arrested for my name. Don't get arrested for, for breaking the law but be arrested because you're, you're speaking my name. And then you're going to, don't worry about what you need to say because I'll say it through you. And it, it's, it's interesting because prayer is paradoxical where we have to pray in order to pray. My son saw me on the riding lawnmower the other day and was like, Dad, I want to ride on it. And I'm like, oh, small, fences everywhere, chicken coop, playhouse, house, car. Like, it's older, so the throttle is a little sticky, so you're either stopped or you're speeding. Like, there's no in-between. I'm like, well... You have to drive to drive. You got to pray to pray. So go for it. And I prayed a lot. And he, he made it here today. So we're good. But it was a little touch and go. And then he just takes off towards the street. I'm like, my God, what are you doing? That's, ah, you can spin it around here, but oh, okay. He's okay. We have to pray to pray. You got to get behind the wheel. As terrifying as that might be, and not knowing where God's going to lead you, you just have to listen. And say, okay, God, where am I going to go? Your purpose was to forgive so I could forgive. And you've brought this, this promise, so I'm going to listen to you. Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. We're called, we're chosen, we're faithful because his Spirit's in us. What happens tomorrow Whatever they want to do against his bride, the Lamb's already won. He's the Lord of lords and King of kings. We don't need to freak out. So confusing why believers come to me over the past couple of years. Oh, do you know this happened? They're doing this. Yeah, Jesus said they would. Are you ready? Because I am. I'm already thinking through how I might have a prison ministry. Sometimes it freaks my kids out. But I'm like, hey, you might have to join me. Who knows? Jesus said we don't need to worry about it. Let's get ready. Either he comes back or there's another ministry opportunity. Either way, we don't have to worry. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's already won. The culture says, hey, don't worry. All religions, they think the same thing. It's all basically main things, the main thing. Trivial things are a little different. That doesn't work out on the planes I've been on or the cars when I tell someone Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Like, no, 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 there's multiple ways. There's multiple truths. There's a lot of ways you can go to, to God. Logically, let's work this out. Either everyone's wrong or most people are wrong and one person's right, but we can't all be right. We can't say this truth is truth and this truth is truth when this truth says this is a lie. They can't all be right. Culturally, we see truth being rejected, truth being edited, and then all of a sudden the culture's paralyzed and doesn't know what to do and make sense of things, so they grasp at these fragments of stories. We're living in the most affluential and yet depressed and suicidal culture. Most suicides are, are coming from those rich and successful because they've reached what they thought would bring them 
purpose and promise, but the promise ended up being a lie. And there's nothing to live for, so they kill themselves. Because the ruler of this world is to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, no, I've come to forgive and promise you eternal life. Just give your earthly possessions away. I'll take care of you in the moment you're here, but I have a future eternal life with me. There's a, a couple thoughts here that, that the disciples leaned into and it fully, recklessly abandoned any hesitation in sharing the gospel. And I think these five things are, are probably what's tripping most of us believers up. And those of us, Lord willing, will be a believer today, won't get tripped up over this as I share them. The first thing is the, the lie of the culture says there's no unique revelation in history. Hebrews 1 tells us that God has revealed himself through the prophets, through his word, and then fully and clearly through Jesus. He came Fully God, fully man revealed, here's what it looks like to have all your sins forgiven. Don't work. Don't try and go to Jerusalem. I left it. I conquered it. I destroyed the temple so my spirit would be in you. You're the temple of God now, wherever you are. South, north, east, west. And they said, go. Many different ways, the culture says. There's no revelation from God, number two. Many different ways are, are out there to reach this divine reality and, and the new age and the mysticism and the Ouija boards and the demonic and all things and, and portrayed on the screens to, to, to kind of lull the younger generation through even avatar with like tails you plug into this spiritual power and it's just this very new agey multi-source to this divine reality. Thirdly, there's all religions are basically fragments. No real religion has it all figured out. So you kind of need them all together to see this mosaic kind of fractured. And you've kind of heard maybe some of these. You're like, how do I engage with that? But you need this multi-religions kind of borrowing from things to kind of create your own path. And fifth, all agree on the big stuff. The Pope, head imam and rabbi came together with one world religion, which Jesus and scripture told us was going to be in the end times. And they opened the one faith, one religious center in Dubai where it's illegal to talk about Jesus' name. In Israel, they tried to pass a law where you could not say the name of Jesus. Nothing has changed. We're in the same place Peter and John were trying to go to church and there's a lame guy who can't come in because by their religious laws, Jesus' name was too offensive. And they couldn't figure out why or what law they broke then, but now they're making laws because they know the power of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And they can't make money off of it. And we know the ruler of this world is trying to steal, kill, and destroy as many before Jesus comes back. We see the Hindus say that God was incarnated hundreds of thousands of times, but we see that Jesus was incarnated uniquely and unrepeatably one time. Islam says, do good things, and there's these five pillars, but hopefully Allah's having a good day. Because even if you do everything to a T, and it's Allah's off day, no one gets in. So tough luck. Have a good night's sleep. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And if you believe in me, I've taken your sinful life and given you a perfect life. You're saved. You're good. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you need one verse today, to hold tightly the hope that you can sleep good at night saying, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you get to heaven and God says, why are you coming in? Because I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes in except through him. And he died on the cross for me. That's it. 
That's what the thief on the cross said. Like, why are you here? Uh, the guy in the middle said I could come. Perfect. Come on in. You know, Peter wasn't like, oh, baptism certificate. Did that get verified? Did we, did, did, did the masters of theology, did he get? No, there's none of that. It's the gospel of grace. And yet the church is terrified to say Jesus' name because it's the gospel of grace. Inside of us, there's this nagging, longing, thinking we have to do it. We should show up approved. 